Well, good morning again, church family. I've loved this Advent season, and it's one of my favorite times of year. I've been loving the Advent devotional, been having some profound conversations uh, with my wife and my daughters. Uh, it's been wonderful. Today, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 4, as we'll be talking about the Advent of love. In the last few weeks, we've talked about the Advent of hope and the Advent of of peace. And today we'll be talking about the advent of love. And advent really comes from the Latin term adventus, which simply means coming or arrival. And so throughout uh, history, it has been known as the arrival, the season where we uh, honor and are mindful of and stir our affections for the Lord by remembering the first advent, the arrival, the coming the, of hope and of love and joy and peace in Jesus Christ. Today in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, we'll begin reading, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected within us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love that we don't have to question and wonder if you love us. We can see from your word and what you've done for us in sending your son that even as we just read that your love was made manifest among us in the sending of your son. We know John 3, the famous verse, probably the most famous of all time, Lord, that you so love the world and gave your only begotten son that whoever believes in Jesus Christ, in him, would have eternal life. God, I pray today 
that your Holy Spirit would do what my words alone cannot do. I ask you to open eyes to the truth. I ask you to change hearts. Take sinful, hardened, broken hearts and restore and heal them by the Holy Spirit. Make them alive in you. God, I ask you to bring salvation today and that we would come to know you more through the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen. This week, you could be thinking about Advent, and possibly you're wondering, what's love got to do with it? Probably not, though. You're probably not thinking that. Or maybe you're confused about love because there's so many different displays and so many explanations and definitions of love in our world, and so maybe you're thinking, I want to know what love is. But if that's not you, you know, you're experienced, you're educated, you're not wondering that, and you're going, no, 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 I believe in a thing called love. Does anybody know what they even say right there? I don't know. That's probably not you, though, because even though in this broken world where there's so much hopelessness and and sin and pain and suffering, we found love in a hopeless place. And Advent is a season of recalling the days of old where in the Old Testament they were still clinging on to that hope that love is on the way. Because the truth is that God looked upon fallen sinners and said, I'm saving all my love for you. You see where we're going? And through the mouths of the prophet several times he conveyed something along the lines of, I just called to say... I love you, yeah. He also called to say, I'm judging your sin and other things like that, but that's also an act of love. And even though that was the statement, we know with the love being on the way that also you can't hurry love. But finally, the right time when mankind was all out of love, Jesus showed up saying, I'm going to make you feel my love. And it's on the cross where we saw the power of love. And by God's grace, love don't cost a thing. So now I can't help falling in love because God took my hardened, sinful heart and loved me tender. And now I, E-I, will always love you. And really, we might as well face it. We're addicted to love. That's enough. Aren't we, though? Aren't we addicted to love, our society? Think about it for a minute. All the songs on the radio, all the television shows that the writers put together, the movies that become blockbusters, the theme, the mantra, the anchor of all of them always has to be that thread of love. There's always, what what is the sitcom without that couple that you're hoping eventually gets together? What is the movie, even the epic war movie or whatever it might be, if there's not that that girl to get back home to, if the hero doesn't have that, that girl to save? Love has thread throughout all of our society. We long for it, we hunger for it, we look for it, we feel it, we desire it. We're addicted to it. Everybody wants to have someone that they can love and adore. Everybody wants that at some level, at some capacity. And even more than that, everybody wants someone to love and adore them. 
And this desire, this need really has been the core message of mankind for ages. It's what makes books land on the bestsellers list. It's what makes movies blockbusters and what makes those TV show ratings climb. And it sells greeting cards and it even makes up holidays like Sweetest Day. (laughs) And it causes spectacle. On wedding days, we are all of us wired for love. But as I return to one of the songs that I just mentioned earlier, and we ask, what is love? And then if that line goes on and you're seeing Roxbury guys go like this, you know the next line of the song is, baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. And why is that even such a common sentiment in our world? Well, it's because no matter how much that significant other has boldly declared confidently those professions that came out of the mouth of Rick saying, um, uh, never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around and desert you, never going to make you cry, never going to say goodbye, never going to tell a lie and hurt you. Man, doesn't that sound awesome? And if you're more than 10 years old and have ever had any level of significant love relationship, you hear lyrics like that and you go, yeah, right. Never going to let you down. Never going to hurt you. Never going to make you cry. It doesn't take long at all in relationships, even loving, deep loving relationships to have experienced hurt and pain disappointment, being let down and crying. And because of that, this this paradigm of love requires such a level of vulnerability. You know that such of those promises are, are just empty platitudes, and even so, we're still hungry for love, yet we're cautious in both the giving and the receiving of love, and even in the believing that love, that we could be loved. And so we're so guarded, we're so scared in professing love and giving love and receiving love because we have been given up and let down and ran around and deserted. We have cried, we have said goodbye, we've been lied to, and we have been hurt, which is what causes us to be so nervous, so cautious, so careful and guarded with love. And many of you, especially if you're married, you have felt that moment where you're walking into that moment of conversation where you're going, I love this person and I want to express it. I want to tell them I love them for the first time. But there's also this idea of putting yourself out there and it not being returned. And I've been there, done that. It ain't fun. When I lived in Texas, This would have been probably at this point 11 or 12 years ago. I was dating a girl and we had been dating for a couple of months and I had strong feelings about her and we had gone out to lunch one day and uh, she was about to drive back home to visit her family and I was going to be staying where I was at and we had a conversation in the parking lot and we hugged and I said, looking into her eyes, here we go, building up, I love you. And she went, (laughs) Whoops is right. Ouch is a lot more like it. And that stunk. 
And that is what we are so afraid of, this idea of being vulnerable and putting ourselves out there that the love that we would offer would not be reciprocated. And that is a terrifying idea. And yes, that was a painful moment. And thank God he had something else for me. Why is it so scary to say, I love you? Why is it so scary to put yourself out there? Yet at the same time, it's easy to say, man, I love barbecue. And uh, I love Cajun food, and I love football, and I love fill in the blank. Because that word love, even today, has been used in so many different dynamics. That it's the same thing I say to my wife many times a day. I tell my wife, honey, I love you. Yet then I can say, I love barbecue. And I'm pretty sure, and hopefully my wife knows as well, that my feelings about barbecue do not equal my feelings for her. And so we live in this world where there's been so much casual conversation around that word that has belittled it a lot, yet such deep and strong feelings from that word that make it confusing than all the, the sinful pictures that our world is painting of what love is. And of course, if we really want to know what love is, we need to look at Scripture. Whereas we just read that God himself is love. If you're looking for definition we saw in scripture as we read through 1 John that God himself is love. See, Advent is where Jesus rips open the dictionary, turns to the letter L, erases the distorted, flawed, perverted, incomplete definition of love, and replaces it with a picture of a manger. That God, the holy God, righteous, perfect, without flaw, strong, all-powerful, spoke and created the universe, the God who can do anything humbles himself in the body of Jesus, takes on flesh, and is born of a virgin Mary. And if we kept reading that definition that he puts in the dictionary, we would see that baby grow to a boy who's 12 years old and in the temple, and his parents are freaking out saying, oh no, where's Jesus? We lost him, and they find him in the temple, and he says, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? And then that boy would grow up to become a man who would be baptized and the spirit of God would descend upon him from heaven like a dove and, and from heaven everyone would hear, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and he would live 33 years living on this earth, ministering, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, calling people into repentance, healing people, setting people free from demonic oppression, raising the dead, doing all these things to proclaim that he is God and then that God man humbling himself to go to the cross. See, Jesus Christ puts on deity, puts on humanity. He endures temptation, suffering, and death. And in a world where love has lost its true meaning, on the cross, Jesus said, you may love the Packers. You may love flaming hot Cheetos. You might love Star Wars. You might like double brats on a hard roll with Wisconsin cheese curds on the side. You might love your children. You might love your wife, but... I've come to show a love that is not of this world. That the love of God was displayed in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus in a way that all other loves, even the deepest loves like the love between a parent and a child, between a husband and a wife, between the deepest of friendships, those loves pale into comparison to the love that was displayed on the cross. Jesus himself declared for us 
the pinnacle of love in John chapter 15 and verse 13. It's a very famous verse. He says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus knows what he came to do. He knows what he's on earth for, the work that he came to fulfill and accomplish. He knows he came to lay down his life for mankind. He came to pay the sin debt that we all swiped and incurred. And knowing that that's what he's going to do before he does it, he says, just so you all know, so you understand when I do it, he declares to his disciples in the final conversation he's having with them in John chapter 15, he says, guys, no greater love, no greater love has a man than this, saying there is not a greater picture of love than what I'm about to paint for you with my blood on the cross. No greater love has a man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. See, that arrival of that baby was the greatest display of love that would ever take place as it was fully manifest on the cross and Jesus dying for our sins. You can think, well, but Stephen, people have died for other people many times. And that's true. Soldiers have died so we could sit here today and without fear of persecution for having faith in Jesus Christ. There are times that officers have died for people. There are times that family members and friends have laid down their lives for one another. I recall what just happened in Oxford, Michigan where there was the captain of the football team in the high school hallway when the shooting began, and he turned and saw the shooter and ran to the shooter in an attempt to save others, laid down his life. And what an incredible display of heroism and love and care and bravery. But the one thing that makes Jesus' act different than all those heroic acts and makes his act of love sacrificially laying his life down on the cross different than all other acts of sacrificial dying for someone else throughout history. What makes his different is that every single one of those people who died was still a sinner and therefore incapable of bearing the sin of other people. Not only of other people, but of humanity. That Jesus took the sin of mankind upon himself. Something no one else ever could do. See, when we consider the standard of God's holiness, his perfection and his righteousness, the fact that when we recall back to the garden what we've read over the last couple of weeks that Adam and Eve were told don't eat of the tree of that fruit in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we look at that and see how they were deceived and they disobeyed God and they did take the fruit and they did eat, we look at that act and we go, but come on God, is that really that bad? And did you, I mean, was it really necessary, that whole curse on the earth and labor pains and men working by the sweat of their brow, working the fields to try and gain a harvest? Like, I feel like that was a little bit of an overreaction. But when we look at scripture and we see that that is what God did, and we do see God's reactions to sin throughout scripture, it ought to make us step back and go, okay, God's holier than I thought he was. God's more perfect and more righteous than I thought he was. And it's actually God's holiness, his perfection, and his absolute hatred and disdain and refusal for sin 
that sets the stage for the display of how great his love actually is. It's the difference of you owing someone $5 and going, I'm short five bucks today, and you owing someone $50 billion and going, I can't repay that. God's holiness required a payment that we couldn't pay. And if you're thinking, oh, was God's love really displayed on the cross? Because again, people have died for people all throughout history, and that's true. But not only did Jesus simply die for us, but in his death, he paid the 50 billion, trillion, gazillion, whatever comparable you want to throw out there, infinity debt that we were incapable of paying. And it is the holiness of God that shows how great the love of God is and that Jesus showed no greater love as a man than this than when he lays down his life for a friend. We all know what that is to experience that hope for love. And when we look at God's holiness and his demands for perfection and we know ourselves, one of the most common struggles that humanity has and even Christians have is wrestling with the idea and the truth and the belief of, man, could God really love me? Because I might have other people convinced that I'm pretty great Or I might do pretty good most of the time at looking really good. And even though I might stumble or falter here and there, I know the depths of what has been in my heart and in my mind. And we go, man, if a God, as Hebrew tells us, that all things are naked before his eyes, meaning there's nothing hidden from him, meaning he not only has seen everything we've ever done, but he's known every thought and intent that has ever occurred in our heart and our mind. Could you imagine, you know, there's that, that movie out, uh, what was it called? What Women Want. Uh, Mel Gibson's in that movie, and in this movie, something happens, I can't even remember it, how it happened, it was electrocuted or something like that. Somehow he gets the ability to hear the thoughts of women. And it's a rom-com, and it's a funny movie, and a cute movie, but he starts living life in this different way as he's able to hear the thoughts of women. And I didn't see they made a, another version, What Men Want, a few years ago. I didn't watch that one. And then there was another movie that came out not too long ago. I can't remember what it was called. I didn't see it either. But the idea that men's thoughts were just like dictated out above their heads. Can you imagine what our world would be like if we didn't have our brain filters where everything that was happening in here came out of here or was broadcast to all of us? We'd have no friends. You wouldn't like anybody. Because even the people that we love the most, we at moments have weak thoughts or wrong thoughts. And, it, and scripture tells us that God knows the nuance of every single thought and intent of our heart. And when we see that and know that, and we look at God and his standards of holiness and righteousness and perfection, we're looking and going, man, I know the thoughts I've had in my lifetime. There's no way. Could a God like that really love someone like me? And so what we do is then we we put this, this false barrier between us and God where we, having known who we are and having known our flaws, having known our weaknesses, having known our inadequacies, we bring those perceptions into our relationship with God where we feel like, man, he couldn't really love me like that, could he? And we think that God's love towards us is this just, kindness 
that he's being nice to love us, but could he really, truly love us and desire us and uh, adore us and delight in us? I remember growing up in uh, high school back in Arkansas, I went to a, a private Christian school and every single year we had a banquet. We didn't have a prom. I've never been to a high school dance in my entire life, which is probably for the good of humanity. And I remember every year we'd have this banquet and we'd all get our tuxes and all that, um, get dressed up as nice as we could. And this one year, I, I didn't have a girlfriend or anything like that, but there was a girl I was crushing on named Ashley. And I remember uh, I met her through a friend of a friend and uh, we hung out around each other a few times. And here comes again that vulnerable moment of, of courage. I asked her to go with me to our banquet that year and she said yes. And I'm like, sweet, step one, check. And it'll only be a couple of years before we hear wedding bells, right? And so I start uh, getting ready. I get my tux uh, all put on, my sparkling shoes put on, and I go pick her up, and we have a great night, and we do all the cheesy, awkward pictures, and we have a fun night, and she's being kind to me and having conversation with me, and then I drop her off, and the night is done, and then uh, the next day, I followed up, and I began trying to reach out to see if there could become more from this, and what I began to realize through her reactions or lack of reactions was that she was really kind of just being nice going with me. She was looking at this nerdy dude, Stephen, and like, yeah, I guess he needs a date, and we have a lot of mutual friends, I don't want to make this awkward, so I guess I'll go with him. And she was being nice and, and accommodating my request, but as I begin to dig deeper, and then, of course, now I start wrestling with, oh, she got to know me a little bit better, and then dealing with the fallout of, oh, man, she got to know me better, now she doesn't want anything more with me. And that rejection and all of that we've experienced so many times in our lives and when we, again, compare and consider God's holiness, his demands and expectations for perfection, and we know who we have been in our lives and we consider, man, could God really love me like that? The cross looks at all of those concerns, all of those fears, all of those worries and preaches to us, he does. He does actually love us that way. And his love for us is not like that girl who is just trying to be nice, trying to give me a, a fun evening where we could have nice casual conversation. God's love for us is so much more than him looking at us with pity and going, oh, you need a date. But his love is actually him looking at each and every single one of us, even knowing the deep recesses of sin that have been in our hearts, even knowing the wrong intentions behind good things we've done, even knowing the wrong intentions behind bad things we've done, of course. Is there a way that that God really could love me? So many of us struggle to believe that God could love us that way. We struggle to believe that someone who could actually know us, the real us, the deepest recesses of our heart, the darkest, most shameful moments of our past, possibly the darkest and most shameful moments of our present? Could someone who really knows me like that really love me like that? No way. Thankfully, Scripture preaches. Scripture screams. Yet Scripture tenderly whispers into our insecure eyes 
where we're scared to make eye contact with a God of holiness and a God of love like that. Scripture whispers to us, into our doubting hearts, into our forlorn hearts, Scripture says, I do. I do love you. This makes me think of the wedding day as well, where you're making your vows and you're making all these promises, and then the pastor, the officiant, says, do you, Stephen, take Katie? Do you, Katie, take Stephen? And that's like that last moment of there's a chance. Could be no. But then the I do. That salve of love to the heart in that moment that someone has gotten close enough to you to get to know you and experience even at that point already some hurt, some pain, some frustration, some disappointment and still go, I do. I do take you. And scripture teaches us that God does love you. Not only does he love us, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. A love that does not end. I love you more than your spouse loves you. More than your parents have ever loved you. More than your siblings have ever loved you. More than your grandparents. More than your best friends. More than your church family. More than all of the love of all relationships in your entire life combined and multiplied. I love you more. Is what God declares to us through his word. But how? How do I know that you could really love me like that, God? Let's go back to 1 John chapter 4, the passage that we opened with. In 1 John chapter 4, looking at verse 9. And this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. How do, how do we know? How do we know God loved us? The Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John and also these letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, who's also someone who was so close to Jesus, was in Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John, so close to him in that, that he had a view, a picture of Jesus and the love that God had for him and for humanity, that as he writes his Gospel, the book of John, anytime he puts himself into the story, he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved that he knew Jesus in a way that anytime he brought himself into the story, he's like, the only way he wanted to describe himself was like, I'm the guy who Jesus loves. And could all of us have the Holy Spirit open our eyes from Scripture and help us see through the Holy Spirit that actually we are just like that John, that when we have received the Spirit of God and thereby the love of God, that we could confidently, just like John, go, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. I'm the one whom Jesus loved. How do I know? Well, because 1 John told me. 1 John told me that the love of God was manifest among us. It was brought present among us. It was revealed to us. The love of God has been displayed in our lives by God sending his son. Romans would tell us that we, uh, we don't have to wonder that the love of God was shown to us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Does God love us? Absolutely he does. Did you see that, that the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him? The manger on that faithful night, 
held the hope of the world, the love of God in a bed of straw wrapped in swaddling clothes. Let's look back at verses seven through eight. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this is the love of God made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. What this shows us, Paul, or I'm sorry, not Paul, John is telling us that God is love and his love was made known to us. It manifests among us. But not only that do we see the display of God's love, but when you have received God's love, then it causes you to overflow and give that love. We can see that God's love is the cause and our love is the effect. He says that we love one another because of the love of God that has been given to us. Let's look at this one more way as we continue reading in verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so often the the dynamic of our relationship with God, we think that, that it's built on the precursor of our love for him, that God is sitting here looking at us going, all right. Show me what you got, because you really botched this whole thing. You're the one who's sinning here, so come on, let me see it. I'll love you, but first, come on, I need to see what you're going to do. And that is our guilty conscience wiring that we bring to God going, oh man, okay, I know I'm not up to his standard, and so God, I I commit, I dedicate, I'm gonna love you, I mean it this time, I know I've said that a hundred times before, but this time, God, I really mean it. And the whole precursor for our relationship with God is we think that it's based on our love for him. And therefore, when we fall again, when we're weak or when we stumble again, we think there's no way that God could love us still, or that there's a chink in the armor of his love for us. But John ministers to us and clears all of that up by saying, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. The precursor of the relational love dynamic between the holy and perfect and righteous God and the fallen sinful humanity is that he first loved us. We love because He first loved us. And what is it when you have met that significant other and you know the woundedness, the baggage, the flaws, the imperfections that you're bringing into the relationship going, man, if this person finally gets to the depths of knowing who I fully and completely am, are they still gonna love me? Are they still gonna want me? If they knew who I truly and deeply at all levels was, And when you find out, yes, man, what does it do to your heart to go, man, someone still wants me. And the God who sees and knows all, who has nothing naked before his eye, or everything is naked before his eyes, nothing is hidden from him, still looks at you and me and says, I have loved you. Again, God's love is the cause. Our love is the effect As we continue reading, let's pick up in verse 16. There's some important things in there, but we're going to jump ahead to verse 16. So we have come to know. Remember, we're going again. Could he really love us this way? I mean, I know what the... Is it possible that a holy God could really love me like that? 
Verse 16, so we have come to know, not guess, not, not wonder, not debate. We have come to know, and not only know, here we go, to believe the love that God has for us. Because you could be here today and you could be going, yeah, I know this stuff. I, I Technically, I've heard this stuff taught before. I know idealistically that Jesus loves me. I heard the song growing up, or maybe not, but uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I know it, have mental assent of that in my head, but has that really sunken down into my heart where I can actually believe it? To where we could be like John who say, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. Verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day, for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. In the context of judgment right there, when he's saying as he is, so also are we, he's saying as Jesus was righteous before the Father and loved by the Father, as we have our faith in him, we are just like him before the Father, that we are loved and welcomed and rejoiced because, rejoiced over because he took the payment for our sin. We can have confidence on the day of judgment. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Again, before the God who has all things bore before him, every sinful action and every evil intention and thought and motive. We have that guilty conscience. And again, last week I mentioned the relational dynamic between my sweet daughter when she knew she had done something wrong. And I come to her as her father. And she won't make eye contact with me. And she's looking away. And I asked her about the thing that she did and she lied to me. And she began trying to walk away from me with that guilty conscience. As the loving father, I'm going, no, 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 no. No, what you did's not okay. But come here. Come here. Is it possible that God this morning to the person who's wrestling with their own guilt, their own shame, their own condemnation. I know I don't measure up. I know I'm not good enough. I know I haven't done or lived according to his standards. But the love of God is saying to you this morning, no, 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 no. What you did's not okay. You're right. But the guilt and condemnation is from the enemy. Conviction from the Holy Spirit is the love of God saying, no. What you did is wrong, but I'm telling you, come back to me. Because I'm your father who loves you with an everlasting love. With a love greater than any other love you could imagine or dream or make up in your mind. I have loved you deeply. And I want you to come back to me. See, when we see that Emmanuel... Christmas time, we know the name Emmanuel means God with us. And we see from 1 John that God is love. What it is to know that love is with us at all times. 
where we don't have to wonder or wrestle or struggle with, does God, could God still love me, really love me? The answer, absolutely, always, without a doubt, is a resounding yes. Anytime you're wondering, does God love me? Picture the cross. Point your finger at yourself and say, yes, I do love you. As we close today, there's an old hymn It's an incredibly powerful song called The Love of God. And I want to read it to you really quick. It says, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Now listen to this. Could we with ink the ocean fill? If we filled the ocean with ink. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? If all the skies were made of parchment and paper. Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Imagine every ocean on the planet Earth filled with ink. And imagine the sky being made of paper. And imagine taking every stalk of grass. And imagine every single one of us using every stroke of energy to dip in that ocean and to write describing the love of God on that parchment across the sky. We would drain the ocean. There wouldn't be enough parchment to capture and explain accurately and faithfully with complete definitive description the love of God for you and for me. There's not enough ink for it. There's not enough paper for it. There's not enough breath for it. There's not enough humanity to explain and describe the love of God, which is why Romans tells us that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And I can sit up here all day preaching this to you, but the Holy Spirit has to be the one to come to your heart and say, it's true. It's true. It's true. I do love you. I do love you like that. I do love you with an everlasting love. I do forgive you with, of your sins. I do welcome you back into my family. My love really is like that, and I really do love you like that. Jesus Christ comes as a baby to make sure that we all know without the shadow of a doubt that God loves us. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your perfect love that casts out all fear. God, I thank you that your love has been displayed and that you sent your son into this world God, I thank you that your love was displayed and that your son lived a perfect life for us, dying on the cross, where we don't have to wonder and question how you feel about us. You've shown us. And in a world where talk is cheap, 
you have shown us, not only told us, but shown us the love that you have for us. Well, there's so many other things going on in our lives and in this world that could make us question. We can look at you and what you've done and know I am loved by God. I am the disciple whom Jesus loved, not because I'm good enough, not because I loved you first, but because you loved me first, because you loved us first. And God, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would penetrate hearts today to see, to know, and to believe that they are loved by you, forgiven of their sins by you, and welcomed to come sit on your lap and be embraced and be delighted in and be rejoiced over by the God of all creation. We thank you for it, Lord. We give glory to you today in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen.